Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as a part of serving our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HCS2014. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Health Connect South Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your morning again today. Sounds like we had a little bit of an adventure from uh, our folks trying to get in. Mm, Traffic, weather. (laughs) (laughs) That's Krista Baruti, our producer extraordinaire on the board. Good morning. Had a nice hour-long drive into. Uh, it's the so much today. fun. I really enjoy sitting in traffic it's for awesome. an hour every morning. Thankfully, it was kind <laughs> to me today. And Diana Keo, CEO and founder of Sherwick Media Group. It's good to be here. And we're uh, we're pleased to have uh, a partnership with Sherwick Media Group, who's helping to make this program possible um, to kind of extend the platform that is Health Connect South. And um, if you aren't familiar with Health Connect South, one of the things, as we talked about in the intro, is that we're trying to make folks in the community aware of what's going on within the healthcare space. Uh, many times we start working on a project, whether it's a research project or some kind of even uh, health, health initiative like what we're going to be talking about today, and other folks don't end up knowing about it. Uh, some of the time it, it could be somebody could help us logistically, could be someone that could collaborate with us in some form or fashion, whether it's processing data or other things that would make what we're doing go more quickly, succeed on a grander scale. And that's what we're trying to do here is is turn that around and bust down those silos and uh, help folks in the community know about what's going on. And, and hopefully somebody listening will say, hey, I know somebody or, hey, our company actually helps do just what we're talking about here. So we need to hook up and uh, make this thing work. So without further ado, would you like to introduce our guests this morning? I know that you have at least some measure of uh, familiarity with one of them. I do. Shailen, Dr. Shailen Buck yeah. is um, a, a dear friend and um, uh, has a great position at DeKalb Medical. She is the uh, executive director of WorksWell and uh, the medical director of uh, the Wellness Center. And from what I understand, you have a background in pathology in your, uh, in your physician days. That's right, CW. There is um, nothing like uh, being a pathologist doing an autopsy to see the impact of chronic disease. And so that's really where my interest started. Um, seeing how we could take this from a disease management approach to a preventive approach and how we could um, look at broadening that to populations as well as looking at personal health. Mm-hmm. And you brought along with you uh, Jim Forstner, the Senior Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer of DeKalb Medical. Um, both of you are, are, are part of that great organization that's been around the community for, what, 50 years or so? 60. Yeah. 
So uh, certainly been a cornerstone in providing health care in the Atlanta area. Um, and one of the things that uh, that you're doing that I think is really cool, obviously it's gaining, uh, you know, I know that preventive medicine is, has been a topic for a long time, but it seems like nowadays we're kind of formalizing it. We're starting to add members of the executive team who are focused on population health management, which is obviously our topic today. And I know that DeKalb Medical, as one of our key players in the Atlanta space, you're you're innovating and and um, and being aggressive in your approach to you know expanding the notion of population management, uh, getting employers that uh, interface with your network, for example, to be able to you know save cost, which is obviously a goal these days. We're trying to reduce the overall outlay um, from employers to patients to just the healthcare system in general. And so the strategy that you have um, as part of that is to engage with employers to begin to modify where possible some of the behaviors of, of their employees, get them in, involved with primary care and things like that. So can you kind of take me through how you're getting into the, the notion of population management and, and interfacing with the, the employers in the space? Well, it, it starts with, um, you know, you've heard the phrase, physician, heal thyself. Uh, we're actually starting internally. We are an employer. We're one of the largest employers in, in DeKalb County. Mm -hmm. We have over 4,000 employees, medical staff. And, um, and so we had to look internally. And we're self-funded. So what that means is um, when, we look at our, when we look at our money, the bucket of money that we have, um, we need to make very strategic decisions about how we effectively use that money to further the health of our employees um, and to drive health outcomes. And so we, we started from that angle, but also at the same time, being one of the leading community health systems in the area, we had employers asking us, what can you do to help us? This healthcare space is changing. It's really tough to navigate, especially with ACA coming um, into the picture. And we were already providing services for over 20 years in occupational medicine, occupational health and safety. So we already had established relationships with employers. And then they started asking, what else can you do um, to support us and help us strategize and move the health of our employees uh, forward. So that certainly gave you the opportunity as a large employer with a large base and I'm sure a broad spectrum of uh, demographics within that group to really begin to kind of pull the levers of preventive measures to be able to do things that would change how we handle workplace accidents, for example, um, different things like that so that you could kind of hone your strategy as it relates to your internal population and then be able to effectively interface with somebody in the community as an employer and help them do the same on their side. And you then come with a experience. You can tell them, this is where we were when we started this effort. This is where we are now, and we can do that for you. And it's not cookie cutter. And yeah. that's the important thing with population health. Certainly, you're, you're taking information and, and you're using that information to really understand the population and understand where to start with that population. So for an example, with DeKalb Medical, we recognized, and it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we gotta start with safety first. Mm -hmm. You can do these great wellness initiatives, and you can do them in, in parallel, but we really recognize that healthcare workers um, were one of the most susceptible employee populations to accidents um, 
to, to workplace injuries. And so we needed to create a safe environment for our healthcare workers, but we realized also that that translated to a safer environment for our patients. And so our employee health efforts really started there with safety. And we looked at how could we implement strategies, take data, um, use that data to develop targeted strategies so we could reduce the overall risk, create a safer environment for our employees. And that's really where we started. Um, and, and then expanding from that by now including um, prevention efforts like biometric testing, where we're integrating our biometric testing with our occupational health annual um, uh, physicals um, for our employees. And so now it's all starting to become integrated. We had to start somewhere because if you, if you take a shotgun approach, it makes it really difficult to really start to, to build um, that strategy. How long did it take you you're doing your internal project as you began to really kind of get focused as, as from a pro- population health management perspective? We're going we're gonna to change these outcomes that we're seeing here, these uh, sources of increased cost and increased um, you know, injury or whatever it may be, the, the negative outcomes that you see that you would really like to reduce the rate of. How long of that process did it take to really kind of begin to see a turn in, in terms of spend and, and just general outcomes? It's ongoing. Mm-hmm. And what you typically see um, with workplace health initiatives, um, you can see short-term ROI, for example, with disease um, targeting certain uh, populations for disease management, let's say diabetics. And so you can see a short-term ROI, but really when you're looking at the entire population, it takes um, about three years mm-hmm. um, for that strategy to start, just start to mature. And then you continue to build and build on that. Um, I know companies, I was at a, an employer the other day, and um, they're, um, they've had their employee wellness committee for 16 years. It's not something that you just implement and just say, okay, we're done. It's, it's a continuous um, process. So we're still, we're still working on it. And it's not free to start. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think about population health and a conversation that we have with employers on a regular basis is that it does take investment at the outset, because you may be having more doctor's appointments, you may be having more sleep studies, you may be having more diabetes education investments, and those will pay off in the long run. Uh, and, and we've had a lot of success with local employers, especially in DeKalb County, con- talking to them about how to fund that initial startup cost by managing the unit costs on their, their health claims too, right? You can save money in a health insurance environment by either managing the number of units, which is population health, or you can save money by managing the unit cost, which is appropriate utilization of the appropriate resources at the appropriate time. And before we go into like the specific strategies and what y'all are doing, like the minutiae of the, the strategies and also the prevention, we're talking about population health management, and it's a buzzword for the Accountable Care Act. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't in healthcare that are listening to this. So can we back up and actually start with a definition of what population health management actually is? Population health management is taking a defined population. That's the important piece here. Okay. Taking a defined population, integrating data and information about that population, so uh, medical claims, pharmacy claims, workers' compensation claims, but also what you understand about the culture in that population, assessing risk in that population, and and um, 
implementing effective strategies with the decision support tools that you have to um, reduce that risk and improve overall health outcomes. And so why did this become such a buzzword? I mean, why is everybody talking about population health management now? Well, it's going to be the way that health systems are going to be compensated in the future. So, you know, when when money's involved, that certainly makes something um, a buzzword. But I think also we're seeing increasingly that, you know, in this country, and everybody knows this, um, we spend a lot of money but we haven't seen necessarily the, the desired health outcomes. We are, as a, as a nation, we've been focused on disease, on um, fixing it after it happens, right. as opposed to preventing. I'm sick, I gotta go to the hospital. Right, yeah. as opposed to, and that's how health systems, quite frankly, have been compensated, yeah. uh, compensated on a disease model. And we realize that doesn't work. Employers realize that doesn't work. And guess who's who the, the burden of that is falling on? It's falling on employers when they're sponsoring these health plans. They're feeling it, and they're coming and they're to, to the health systems and saying, this has gotta be fixed. So I think that's the other reason we recognize that it's got to be a different, different approach. It's not enough to be able to say when you have your heart attack, this is the great place to go and have your heart taken care of because we can, we've got the best surgeons, et cetera. Now the focus is let's prevent your heart attack. Let's not let you get your diabetes out of control and your blood pressure out of control. Let's link you up with a primary care physician and maybe some sort of a nursing navigator type person who can ensure that you're kind of staying on track and that way your heart attack doesn't happen. Is that what we're trying to do? And also with that heart attack, if you're an executive with that company um, and that heart attack puts you out of work. And so it has an impact in not only the productivity of employees, but it mm -hmm. also um, it can impact your competitive um, advantage. Um, and so that's the other thing that we're seeing, too. It's not just about the direct costs, right, the health claims, the pharmacy claims. It's the ind indirect costs as well. And so there's good data out there where uh, looking at the impact of what's called presenteeism. And I know that's a buzzword, but, you know, I'm at it work. It took, took me some time to figure to learn out. That that's one. an interesting <laughs> yeah, one, presenteeism. Yeah. So I'm at work, but I've got a migraine headache. I, you know, I, I my back hurts. I've had back pain. Um, you know, my blood pressure's up. I can't function effectively in the workplace to do the job that I need to do. Or I'm injured, I'm out of work, that costs um, the, the organization money and, and time as well. So, Something you mentioned earlier, uh, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about, was relating to self-funded versus not being self-funded as an employer. Um, clearly, the larger companies that have you know higher revenues, I, mean, I would assume more of those tend to be or trying to get to self-funded. And if you are self-funded, does that mean that all of your health care costs for your employees comes from your own pocket based on a bucket of money that you set aside for that? Uh, generally, yes. Uh, there, there are a number of different ways to be self-funded, but pretty much the definition of self-funded is when one of your funded members goes to a doctor, fills a pharmacy claim, goes to a hospital, that money is funded directly out of the, uh, the cash reserves of the uh, sponsoring organization. Mm -hmm. And so clearly for that kind of company, it absolutely makes sense to do some population management so that we can reduce the rate that we're having those high dollar claims, ER visits, big time surgical procedures, whatever it may be, big time illnesses that end up being chronic and very expensive over time. It makes obvious sense. How do we engage the company that's not self-funded? Can we? Is that out of the scope of this particular focus? Is it really going to benefit only the, the self-funded company in, in terms of our topic about 
population management or is there a way for them to do the same or is it really going to be the company that's large enough to be self-funded that we're going to be focused on here just we have some fully funded employers um and they who are clients and um they're looking at this too as an overall health promotion um tool to um or strategy i should say to really not just look at at cost is the direct cost but also to drive engagement yep. as a talent um, retention mm-hmm. strategy um, recruitment strategy they've recognized it um, especially when it's service organizations um, that when those employees are taken care of um, they take better care of their customers they're happier um, and so we definitely work with uh, fully funded employers as well. And the other thing with the fully funded employers we're finding, too, is they are direct contracting for services. So outside of just the health plan. So they say, we want to we want to go ahead instead of those going into claims, we want to work with you directly um, to bring in flu shots or to to bring in on site health services. So increasingly, we're having those conversations. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to mention that was because, uh, you know, if a business owner or, or executive is listening today and they think, oh, geez, we're not self-funded, so I, it's not going to help my company. I wanted to show the fact that employers, whether you are self-funded or not, gain benefit from engaging in strategies that will reduce the, the rate of spend on employee health. Perfect example is we have mobile mammography. And so we can bring our um, mobile van directly to the workplace, whether you're fully funded, self-funded, it doesn't matter. We can bring that van directly to the workplace, um, perform those mammograms without the employees leaving the workplace and having to schedule an appointment with their doctor. They can do all of that on site um, when we bring our van to the the workplace. Interesting. Now, you and I have had a lot of conversations, especially about this employee safety. Um, and in one of those conversations we had, we talked about the, the cost directly to Cab Medical in the last year or two on employee injury and how this actually really formed what you all are doing. And I just kind of want to start there is like what, how much, like in the last couple of years, have you all spent on employee injuries? Oh, boy. On employee injuries, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I can tell you recently what we've been able to save with one particular initiative. Um, We created a process. uh, We recognized that there really wasn't a clear process for employees to um, report injury, and they were going directly to the emergency room. So they'd have uh, they get stuck with a needle. Uh, and, and and go to the emergency room, the claim would be 1200 to $1,500 just for that emergency room visit. We know how to manage that very effectively. We know how to manage it um, effectively and also at a lower cost. And so we created a process by which employees on 24-7 basis can call a triage hotline with an occupational health nurse on the other end when they had an injury. We could triage that, do the initial case management. They wouldn't have to go to the emergency room because we could take care of it over the phone and then follow up in our on-site clinic with our occupational health nurses. We've been able over a year's time to reduce our emergency room um, claims by about 50%. And the advantage, too, is that the employee would be sitting in the emergency room 
for hours. Yeah. Well, this could get him back to work. We had managers saying, my gosh, you know, this employee goes for a needle stick to the emergency room. We've got to bring in someone else to cover their patient care responsibilities. <laughs> and so it made a lot of sense, both from a sure. productivity and a claims reduction standpoint. And so what other injuries are kind of on the, the hit list as far as reduction? The number one is um, bloodborne pathogen exposure. That's about 60% of our overall, um, what we call OSHA recordables. Um, we see about, uh, to that hotline, we get about a call or two a day. Um, and then we assess those injuries to determine um, whether they need self-care or first aid. And if they don't, they require um, higher level care, then they become um, an OSHA recordable. Uh, and in those OSHA recordables, we mostly see, as I said, bloodborne pathogen exposures, but then patient um, handling injuries. So lifting a, a patient, pushing a patient, um, pulling, the, that's our next um, category. So musculoskeletal injuries, um, those are definitely something that we're targeting. And the challenge when you look at um, injuries for workers' compensation, we capture those um, acute injuries in the workers' compensation claims. The question is, what about the chronic injury? So as we know with musculoskeletal injuries, often it's um, multiple insults over time, lifting multiple patients over time. That may not show up in workers' comp, but it's going to show up in the medical claim when they have to go to their primary care doctor, orthopedic surgeon, rehab. And so now we're starting to integrate data so we can see across the board how those injuries are impacting not just the workers' compensation claims, but the medical claims as well. Interesting. We've been talking with Dr. Shailene Buck and Jim Forstner of DeKalb Medical Learning about their strategies for population health management and how they interface with employers in the community as well as what their own experience has been um, addressing some of these issues internally from what is a very large employee base within DeKalb Medical. And clearly they're having some successes internally that they can talk about with uh, the companies on the outside. And I would presume that with uh, the expansion of electronic medical record that across your enterprise, that's begun to make this more and more possible, make this flow a little bit more seamlessly, just because you can have now access to data that would have been hard to, for this department over here, trying to make decisions to know that this is happening over here. It would be a much slower process and, and much less able to make more real-time type decisions about how we can tackle a particular you know issue like what you're talking about, bloodborne pathogen exposures and things like that. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting with employees. So when you're the employer, in a health system, and you have your employees, there's a there's something you have to always keep in the back of your head, and that's privacy. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, with for example, with our narrow network, we we want our employees to use our own uh, our services, but we also want to make sure that they feel a sense of confidentiality and privacy. So for example, with our population health um, uh, software system, that is completely separate from the rest of the hospital. HR doesn't have access to that. There's only a, a small group of individuals who have access to that. And what we've um, found is that, and, and through our WorksWell, which is our occupational um, health and safety group, there's really, that builds a level of trust. So when we start doing things like biometrics and we start testing for diabetes or testing for you know hypertension or 
or or um, high high cholesterol or weight or weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not asking the question. What are you going to do with this information? If they if they do ask that question, we are confident in saying that information is protected, and we're using it to support your personal health, but also um, in aggregate when it's anonymous helping the the organization make better decisions about how to promote your health. I I would imagine that uh, that that then translates into a greater measure of confidence from the outside employers, that that we know how to handle your data. Uh, And and you're going back to the the notion of the narrow network piece. Um, At first blush, saying we have a narrow network, we we want you to stay within our system, go to our doctors, go use our services. At first blush, it would, would seem that that's just... We just want all the revenues that would come from that, but it's more than that. It's it, and in fact, it's it's bigger than that. Just because going back to what we were just talking about as it relates to data, if I'm being seen in a DeKalb Medical Physician office and then I go to DeKalb Medical Rehabilitation Services or whatever care provider within that system that I need to see, you're able to follow that, and now I'm not as likely to have say, a duplicate test, uh, Say it, we, it, to use the example that we talked about uh, before we went on the air where some employees may have, uh, they may go for a blood test over here and then they go for uh, some care over there and they, they, they do some other follow-up over there and now it's back in the silos you talked about and, and they're trying to get information to flow back and forth well, and, and stuff. And as a health system, you know, I, I don't think Dr. Buck or I would sit here and say that we don't think that we can offer the best care to our own community. Uh, that said, I think when we talk to employers, our our message is that healthcare is by its very nature a fragmented and really challenging to navigate environment, mm-hmm. and that there is significant benefit for the health of the employee, the health of their spouse or children, as well as a, a cost benefit for keeping the care in a longitudinal system. Whereas the example that you said, the you know, the blood test that was done two weeks ago in the emergency room may be the key to deciphering a disease process or an injury, uh, injury prevention issue that is going to drive, you know, health status and cost for the employer. So, you know, when, when we're out there talking to employers about these, quote unquote, narrow networks or tiered networks, we're seeing a lot of interest and excitement, but you do have to get past that concern that the employees are going to rise up with pitchforks and fires <laughs> and and say, you can't tell me where to go get my health care. Mm-hmm. We've been successful doing that because I think we've got a good product and a good message to sell and, and really good data on what 4,000 employees who actually live in the community and come to the community every single day what, what experience they've had in a narrow, quote-unquote, narrow or tiered network model. The, the, the term narrow network, I think, may make somebody think in a negative connotation. But in reality, when you're dealing with a health system, for example, such as DeKalb Medical, we're talking at least hundreds, if not more, providers and a full, full spectrum of services uh, along the continuum that you talked about, from preventive to acute to post-acute to rehabilitation services, occupation health, obviously, you have as a health system access to all of those things. So it's not like you're, you don't have choices within that narrow network. It, they're actually quite extensive. It's just by narrow network, we mean we want you to keep your, your, your care within this particular 
health system. And, and I, I can talk about it, and Dr. Buck can as well, from, from a DeKalb medical perspective. Uh, you know, we, we bring 600 physicians in our clinical integrated network. We bring three hospitals. We bring uh, our employer services. We bring significant coverage. Um, but obviously, and this is something that we talk about a lot with employers, you may have an employee or two or 10 that live in Henry County or Cobb County or somewhere that doesn't have access to the DeKalb medical family. And that's why we actually, we, we prefer the term tiered network rather than narrow network, sure. where we're not preventing folks, uh, employees and their families from utilizing services outside the network, but mm -hmm. we're incenting them sure. in a financial way to use the in-network services. Uh, but, but it doesn't, it, really what it asks, asks the employee to do is pay the differential uh, both in health status and in unit cost for accessing care outside of the primary top tier network. Gotcha. And so if this test is $100 in network, if you will, it's, and it's 150 out, then the employee will pay the difference. So that still gives them a measure of choice. If they just really want to go to this place or that place, then they can. It's just a measure of choice then. Do I want to pay for that convenience or whatever the reason might be that would drive them there. And it, it's, and, and Dr. Buck really will have more to, I think, add to this, but it's, it's, we, we really try to sell it not as a, as a, a cost differential, but rather as a, a health, a health benefit. That's right. Because if you get care here, we're going to, we're going to be able to better manage you because you won't have to request all your records from over there. We already have them. And so therefore we can make decisions on the care you got today all along the way without having to wait for access to information. And increasingly, uh, it is interesting. So you, you walk into these conversations, and gosh, it's even more interesting when you have the CFO who's sitting with the VP of um, HR. And so you which, have is, the, which is actually the people we usually meet we, with. We meet which with, yes. Yeah, so the, so the, the person who's focused on the bottom line, it's cost, cost, cost. And then the, the, one who, the executive who's focused on employee managing those employees, the employee resources and engagement. And um, and so we come into the conversation thinking, okay, well, this is a, a cost conversation. We want to lower unit costs, which that is an important part of the conversation. But then there, you hear the, the word relationship, partnership, trust, trust, and and our employees want to feel that there's a relationship. And I think that's why we've had um, increasing success is we have established relationships with these employers by providing employee health services and actually bringing those services on site. So the employee is seeing a true connection, a bridge between the workplace and the health system. An example, um, we're getting ready to launch a, a program we're bringing registered dietitians um, on, on site. And so those registered dietitians are able to provide on-site nutrition counseling and then connect those employees with additional resources within the health system. So it's a true bridge between the workplace and the health system. And, and that also helps a lot uh, when you have a bunch of employees that may not be familiar with the DeKalb Medical brand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think having the employer services and having that connection uh, it can help alleviate some of those some of those concerns 
uh, they might have if they didn't didn't have a connection with the health system to begin with. And so basically, by you bringing them on site, is this almost like you're bringing, it's a doc in the box, you're putting it on site, and it, it, is it just registered dietitians? Or kind of tell me more about it's that. It's a spectrum, and it depends on the the employer, their strategy, um, their, uh, their um, budget, um, and the size of the population. Also, how how, um, how concentrated is the employee population? Are they sitting all within one facility, for mm-hmm. example? And so we'll work with the employer to along a spectrum. Um, we can bring in, for example, flu shots. So basic, come in, do flu shots for or hepatitis B um, vaccinations or tuberculosis um, screening. We can all go all the way to providing um, an on-site occupational health nurse, um, registered dietitians, navigators, to the point even we're, within our own facility, we've started an on-site clinic focused, um, started with a focus on occupational health and safety, now doing um, biometric testing with every when every new hire comes in. They get biometric uh, screening as well as a personal health report about their health status. And so we're using that on-site clinic to start to expand the services that we can deliver to the employees. And so it's it's along a spectrum. And the benefit, as Jim said, is we have all of these internal resources that can be effectively leveraged to create a targeted solution for that employer. Well, and a lot of times the health system, when you're walking up and down the halls of any hospital, hospital system, the employees are usually look the least healthy. And I kind of, where did the thinking, I mean, I know population health is a big buzzword, but this started long before it became a buzzword in y'all's mind, because I know you've been really active in your own population. So just talk about that a little bit and how this whole mindset started. Absolutely. Um, you can, you know, we talk about risk stratification, which is let's take all this information and, and evaluate the risk within our population like um, BMI or hypertension. But the reality is in, in uh, with our occupational health services with WorksWell, we interact with every single employee at some point, at least once throughout the year. We see the disease. We hear the stories. And we, as, as health providers, it's kind of like soldiers. We're, we're taught, you know, take care of everyone else first. We're now on a one-on-one basis and, and even with different groups within, the, um, within our health system, we are giving them permission to take care of themselves. And I think that's the thing that is really important is as a health system, we put patient care, which we should, patient care first. But we have to say to them, Hey, it's like the the um, flight attendant on the airplane. You know, you got to put your mask on first before you can help others. And so, what we are seeing, this is interesting though. We are seeing that we have within um, our health system. We're seeing it in other health systems as well because we have uh, relationships with other health systems, share information, and we're seeing there's a higher um, rate of of overweight obesity. Um, there's a, a high rate of of hypertension. Um, diabetes. And so those, and and this is the other key. We know, we have the knowledge, right? So it's not about not knowing. We're healthcare providers, but we're sick. So what is it? It's about putting um, programs in place that modify behaviors. It's about giving permission. It's about building a culture. Well, and as a business, 
you know, we spend 13 to $15 million a year taking care of our own and, and making sure that, that our nurses and our techs and our, our leaders are at the hospital or in the clinics or, or out in the community is important. And if they're sick and not well, not only are they costly, but you know, you've, you've got a huge absenteeism that you've got to, you got to deal with as an employer. Mm -hmm. And so on that side of things, we've talked about your internal experience as an employer that was starting to have some impact on your own internal employee, employee population. Face it outward now and, and, and share if I'm a listener today and I'm one of those business owners or executives in the community that's kind of starting to hear about this population management thing. We've got insurance plans for our employees. We're good. Um, help me understand, if I'm that person, how to interface with you. Why does it make sense? Because we talked about the fact that there is some spend, but we talked about uh, when we caught up last week a little bit about I'm going to be spending money anyway, so maybe if I redirect it. So kind of talk to me, the, the business owner, business leader in the community. How do we interface with you? Why should we? Um, what's that process like? And it depends on the, the organization. Um, we see, for example, with um, risk managers who start the conversation with us because it's a conversation about workers' compensation mm -hmm. management. So it's always a risk miti mitigation conversation, but it just depends on who is the decision maker, where is the greatest pain point within the employer. So we can start there with workers' compensation um, and um, injury prevention, um, safety. So they may have had a knock on the door from OSHA, and they want to have a conversation about how they can improve their safety profile. And that's when we start integrating um, employee health solutions along um, with that. So a great example is we, we um, have our occupational medicine physician, our director of um, rehab, and our ergonomist who will go out to an actual plant. I, I put on my hairnet. I put on my earplugs. Um, and we go out and we assess that plant alongside the risk manager or um, HR representative and we'll do an, uh, we'll do a health and safety assessment and then work with them to create a strategy. That's one way. Another way um, is if we're on the benefit side, they're saying we we are we've become self-funded or we recognize as a self-funded employer, we need to understand we need to make we need to have information to make better decisions. And so where, where we will start is doing health risk assessment biometric screening. And so we can take all of that information and aggregate, and we can help them with decisions around um, risk and cost and targeting solutions. And so those are really two um, starting points uh, that we typically have with employers. And and if if I was advising an employer, be it in DeKalb County or Atlanta or or anywhere, you know, I would I would advise that 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 leadership team to insist that the health of their employees not be a transactional episode. The historical relationship has been to either buy insurance or uh, buy a third-party administrator or carrier and just wash your hands of it and deal with 10, 20, 30% increases year on year. Right. And if an employer will insist that they move from a transactional to a relationship-based uh, relationship uh uh, organization partnership, then then they can begin to have the conversations with a health system, with a workers' comp provider, with a physician, with a carrier, with a TPA, with any number of different organizations, so that so that they can can begin to 
take an active role rather than just just pay claims, which is what the what the historical model has been. Right. And increasingly, we are being brought to the table as the health system. We're the delivery model. We're bring, being brought to the table with the benefits consultant, with the third party administ- administrator, and with the employer. So it's really that collaborative approach to making decisions and building the the strategy because it just cannot be done in a vacuum and increase and it could be the benefits consultant who's bringing us to the table the employer who's bringing us to the table but i think we're all all stakeholders are recognizing we we're in this together we've got to figure out how we can link up um, to drive that strategy i would imagine that you're beginning to get some similar stories coming back to you some feedback from companies that you've been working with now that kind of echo your own internal experience as a as an employer as well it would seem that uh, as you've begun to interface with them and and do these types of relational things where you're interacting with each employee regularly, whether it's annually or even more frequently if they have more complex issues going on, that you're starting to hear now from some of those companies that did engage with you to say, wow, our employees are happier, they're healthier. And not only are they – I I jumped Dr. Buck here. but But not only are they – they saying, wow, we're seeing results. They're looking at us and saying, what's next? Right. You know, great. We've had injury prevention improvements. Uh, great. Our workers' comp rates are going down. You know, can you help us on this other side of the business where we're spending three, four, ten million dollars on, on health claims? So it, it again, it goes to that relationship rather than a transactional experience. And, and we're I, 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 Dr. Buck and I think give more details, but we're struggling to meet the demand even in our own limited market. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, Diana knows um, we, we share this this mindset. There's statistics and then there's the stories. And what is increasingly um, rewarding for our team as a health system is when we walk in, one, we walk into the employer and they're like, hey, Dr. Buck, how you doing? Um, oh, Dr. Buck, I have, you know, how, how can I get here's in with- Here's my Fitbit. Right, here's my, oh my gosh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite one. Um, yeah, here's my Fitbit or the the chief of police. Oh gosh, law enforcement. That's one of the most um, uh, challenging uh, groups within um, the employee population to work with, but they're great. They're awesome. But, um, you know, it's, it's so cool when you see the chief of police going, hey, I'm getting my steps in or, you That's know, awesome. so we're having, um, though, and, and, and I'm off my medication, um, because I've lost 20 pounds or the, the other, the other is, um, when you see the team excitement. So you see the level of engagement among the em- employees, because often we are looking at ways, not just to en- engage the individual, but how can we get the, the population as a whole to start, um, working with each other to promote each other's health. So great way, as Jim said, with like gamification, we do that. We do competitions um, with steps so we can measure outcomes which we look at, but they, they're, they're looking at who can, who can I beat next week with the number of steps, you know, that I, I get with cool a challenge. That? And so that would appeal to me personally. Yeah, I would, I would get uh, in let, on that. Let me tell you how competitive our own employees, we had about, I think it's close to 600 um, employees who registered for a run walk challenge that we had um, last year. Um, that was up, uh, I think it was like 400 the previous year. And so it is really cool when you see, um, we put them on teams, and when you see these groups of individuals start to compete against each other, but also they start to meet each other. 
and they learn more about each other and they start to say, hey, do you want to go walk during lunch? Or, hey, I didn't realize we live close to each other. We can go walk after work. And, and we start hearing those stories. And I think that's what makes it that's that's what's shifting the culture. And that's what this mm-hmm. is all about. Too. An interesting unintended consequence seemingly, where it's not only pulling our health providers out of silos, but our employees that are affected by these types of approaches are getting pulled out of silos and interfacing with their colleagues in the workplace even more. And it carries on to the families. So we have yeah. to remember here is when, when you're an employer and you have a health plan, you don't just have the employee members, you have their dependents, other family members. And so as much as you can to expand the, the um, population health efforts beyond just the employees into the family, that's going to make a difference as well. So it's really cool when you start to see the mom who has her Fitbit and she's like, yeah, I bought one for my daughter and we're now walking together. And so you start to see that culture extend beyond the workplace into the community and into the families. Interesting. So as we talked about before we went on the air today, one of the things that we like to identify for the experts that are engaging in whatever initiative, in this case, we're trying to uh, improve the overall health of our aggregate population through population health management measures. Um, What would make what you're doing achieve its goal more quickly and more broadly? Uh, what, What sorts of resources... Um, whether it's awareness, what, whatever it may be, that that uh, that would help you do what you're trying to do better. I, you know, there there are many different ways to answer that question. I think, from from our standpoint, the number one thing would be collaboration. Uh, if you try to do this in isolation, you're not going to be successful as an employer. We we are not successful as an employer. And so, when you say collaboration in this context, you're talking about collaboration between the prospective employer out there and the and yeah, the health system. Uh, the employer, the the health system, their administ- their third party administrator, whoever plays their claims, mm-hmm. their workers comp provider, um, the, in, anybody involved in the in the care path. Uh, and the cost path within the within the health of the employees. The, the second thing I'd say is, and, and uh, I think Dr. Buck really has has done this very well at at DeKalb Medical and with the employers we serve is data. You heard us say data a lot today, right. and you know, it, it, as a self-insured employer, you own your data, and and a lot of self-insured employers don't ask for that data and don't have a way to analyze that data. So if you have that data and you're able to integrate it successfully. Uh, us as an employer or anybody that partners with an employer who's paying claims can can absolutely make make a huge difference. Shailene, would you add anything to that? And and that's what we're doing. We've we've um, we're beta testing our own software application that we developed and um, and to integrate occupational well, workers comp um, information, occupational health and safety information with our. Um, our biometric and health risk assessment information, and it's really cool. Um, we're starting, we actually, with some visual tools, um, even tying in lost days of work and tracking those in real time, and what is that real-time cost that we're seeing with that. And so that starts to, instead of just having a strategy that you start at the beginning of the year and reassessing it at the end of the year, and it's static, it's a snapshot, 
we're now able to get real-time information and make decisions in real time so you can adapt your strategy over time. So what are the, you know, you said it was really cool. What are some of the things that you actually are finding that are causing the most absenteeism? So again, getting back to um, with our workers' comp injuries, with musculoskeletal injuries, and what we have been able to do is ask the question, instead of that person being out of work, is there um, a light duty option for them to stay in work but fill uh, a responsibility that we have within the workplace? And so we're increasingly expanding our light duty program where a nurse may be injured by lifting a patient, Mm -hmm. but, but, but then can do some administrative work instead of just being completely out of work, do some administrative work within the hospital that we need. And so we can reallocate that resource and, and lower the cost impact. When we look at the data that we're talking about, there's obviously a wide range of, of health data and outcomes type data. I would presume, but uh, without knowing more directly, is I would assume that uh, the EMR that you're working with to kind of pull all this data together is like a cloud-based type application where you're able to really query it in a whole bunch of different ways things like that in my absolutely and the other advantage um that we have a a partnership with um, a company and we're considered a channel partner and the advantage of that too is that we are able to work with other health systems and learn from them across the country and so we can learn they're they're managing population health we can understand um how they're doing that also we've um, worked with other health systems when we're delivering to an employer that's not just within our region our area area. Um, they have employees in another area. Sure. With, that same, right. with that same system, we're able to share data among the two health systems, but deliver the service at that particular location. So that's been really um, fun to be able to do as partner um, with the different health systems that are the channel partners. And that being obviously what we would call interoperability, I assume, with if, if two different systems, not necessarily health system, but data systems are able to share data elements across between the two of them. Now you can get a picture across both sets instead of just one. You can, it's integrated, you can, but you can deliver locally, which is the important piece. And again, it's not cookie cutter. You can Mm -hmm. deliver locally, but you can see the data and track the information within one system. So you can have that visibility. Interesting. So, Future. I mean, where do you guys see yourself moving in the next two, three years? I mean, future hopes, dreams, and aspirations for you. Oh, goodness. We have another 45 minutes. <laughs> um, really, I, I, I think further integration, data. I, gosh, I just want, I have this dream of this um, you know, executive dashboard where it's almost like your, your online banking, where you are, have real-time decision support with this dashboard, where you can you know, get, get the information, manipulate the information, um, make decisions. That's, that's really what I see is pulling all that information together for data integration. And then um, future aspirations in terms of service delivery, on-site clinics, um, and uh, delivering more on-site services. So continuing to bridge that gap between the health system and and the workplace. So disease management services on-site, things like that. Taking it to the employee rather than hoping that the employee comes to you. Meet the employee where they are. What we know, for example, is um, we're seeing about 20 20 to 30% of employees do not have a primary care doctor. Right. So why can't we find a way, and they're not going to go see their primary care doctor, but if we can somehow bridge that gap and bring primary 
primary care services to the workplace, then we can capture that employee and, and start to um, have a true population health um, infrastructure, starting with primary care. Has there been an aspect of um, integration or even moving this forward that has surprised you how hard it's been? Oh gosh, every part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll I'll tell you the well. Uh, what what's changed with me in a perspective? I came into this with you know wellness, wellness, wellness. Wellness is great. I see wellness, um, the the impact of wellness really being on employee engagement. The part that's really surprised me is the occupational health and safety piece, and and that that really integrating the OCH health piece with the overall, the general health strategy. Those have been siloed for yeah. so long within organizations. Risk manager does this, HR does this. And I think it's link making those connections, connecting the dots. And often we're the dot connector. So we're saying, wait a minute, we've got the risk manager we're talking, manager we're talking to over here. We've got HR. Let's get in the same room and have a conversation. And, and one of the things that, that I think was very surprising to us as we went into it, we expected to be dealing with larger employers, 500, 1,000, 2,000. Sure. That's what was we're, in my mind. We're having conversations with folks with 30, 40, 50 employees who know they need to get into this game. And and in all honesty, are struggling with how they can do it with when the HR department is one person and the finance department is one person, and that's where a health system partner can really add a lot of value because not only have we done it for four thousand employees, but we've done it for a portfolio of manufacturing companies, government entities, uh, office-based workers across the spectrum, and we can leverage that for for a small employer. So you asked what was very surprising. That's been surprising. It's been difficult because again, a 30 or 40 or 50 person employer doesn't have the resources to right. really apply themselves. Yeah. I'm sure any uptick and spend up front is like, oh my gosh. So what, one claim can, can, can get <laughs> them. Can, Changing, well, yeah, like you say, the, the philosophy from transactional to more of a relational mm-hmm. piece, it's probably a bit of a paradigm shift for many. And to Jim's point, that is where we're seeing the interest is is in that small to mid market segment. So mm-hmm. um, you know, typically see a hundred to five thousand um, employees, and they need help. And as as Jim indicated, they they're wearing multiple hats. Um, the executives are wearing multiple hats, and they they need help, and they want a partner at the table. And so that's where we're seeing greater uptake. And can you help them? I mean. A smaller employer would think that you they just can't afford you. Can you actually? Can they afford you? We have um, one of our one of my favorite clients is a, is a as a small employer, and um, it's actually a municipality. And what's been great in working with them is we serve the community as well. And so what we've been able to do is look at how can we serve the municipality and their employees, but also how does that extend um, to the um, entire uh, community? And um, and so yeah, we can help them. It depends, obviously, their budget um, constraints. This one particular employer, they got a grant. And so um, they were able to get grant funding that supported the, and we, we talked to the grantor and we provide information to the grantor so they can continue to keep that grant. Mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of you know, ways that we can, we can support them and look at that. And so a grant, like if other municipalities are actually listening, what kind of grants are they actually getting and where do they go? I, w- I wish I could um, go through all the, the list. This one particular employer is with the Georgia Municipal Association, and so they have a grant program. Um, but there are other, you know, they can look at, at uh, federal grants. I know CDC's had um, some some programs as well. Um, but uh, with this particular one, it was Georgia GMA, Georgia okay. Municipal Association. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as usual, we chew up an hour pretty quickly. We get to talking with folks, and they always have so much information to share. Before we run out of time, um, final thoughts for the prospective uh, employer out there or even other health systems as they're watching what you're doing here? And I've got two, one for the employer. Um, As an employer, you're facing unbelievable challenges, unbelievable regulations. My, My message to an employer is don't give up. The health of your employees is one of the driving factors of your success. And if you can find a partnership with a health system or a carrier or, or anybody that will help you on that, just just don't give up. Um, don't, don't, don't advocate that responsibility. We, we feel strongly that that's part of the message for the community. And, and second, for, for health systems, I would say it's uncomfortable <laughs> to, to begin to try to transition a model from an environment where where your compensation is when patients get sick mm-hmm. to a compensation model when your patients are well. Uh, but in order to be successful long-term, health systems and physicians are going to have to make that transition. So my advice to health systems would be jump in with both feet, um, jump in with your eyes wide open, but but certainly ask for help. And may I add one as well? Start, you don't have to start huge. Start small and build on, and start where you have, uh, you know, your, your priorities. Start small and then build on those successes. And um, sometimes people come into this thinking, oh gosh, I gotta, you know, have this huge program. No, some of the most successful programs we've seen, they start small, they take a stepwise approach and they recognize they're in it for the long haul. It's almost like, any health program that you take on personally, you know, it's not as though you are going to start out. The most successful programs that you do on a personal basis are not ones that you actually say, I'm going to now start running five miles on a daily basis. It's just taking that first step. It's, it's this, you know, you know me, Diana, I'm also a um, certified health coach and it's the smart <laughs> goals. So, you know, you got to be specific, measurable. You've got to be actionable, realistic and timeline and, and, you know, make it practical. And that's where we see the greatest success. Is there anything else we haven't asked you that you wanted to make sure that you shared with us? I, the, the only thing that we didn't get much time to talk about today is I would just encourage employers uh, to remember that it's not only population health, but it's also unit cost that can really drive the success of a program. And not all doctors, not all hospitals are created equal from a perspective of quality and cost. And you need to ask those questions, and you need to know those as you plan your benefit design and as you plan your network over time. And so what are some of those questions that they should be asking? Uh, they, need to be, they need to be looking at the both quantitative and qualitative performance metrics of hospital systems and physicians. Those are out there. They're available. The carriers have them. Uh, uh, hospitalcompare.org has them. Uh, and they also need to be asking their carriers or their, their preferred health partner about uh, rate differentials in the market and about the opportunity to direct contract. So instead of using an Aetna, Blue Cross, Cigna, United contract with a doctor or hospital, actually negotiate across the table from that hospital or doctor and therefore achieve better unit costs. So those are the mm-hmm. two primary questions. That's a very good scoop you just gave. We should actually tweet that out specifically. (laughs) If you're an employer and you would like to get some more information, uh, one place you can go is decabmedicalworkswell.com. Obviously, uh, decabmedical.org as well. Um, Look up uh, Dr. Shaylan Buck. It's S. 
H E A L Y N N Buck, B U C K. Um, Jim Forsner, the uh, Senior Vice President, Chief Strategy Officer there at DeKalb Medical, would certainly be uh, somebody that would be great to link up with too if you have questions about how to involve your employee population in a program like this to move their overall health and I would say probably morale in a positive direction. Oh, by the way, you get to save money as an organization at the same time. So, what a great concept. If you haven't done so already uh, with the Health Connect South Radio, please. Please link up with us on Twitter. We're at HealthCon Radio on Twitter, and uh, we're constantly putting out uh, information. Uh, we link in with all of our guests so that you can get uh, some of their information they're putting out, as well as uh, great uh, information put out by Sherwick Media Group and others. Um, we want to say thank you to our guests. You, we know you're all very busy and, and have much to do, so to take time to join us here in the studio and share this information that I think is clearly having an impact on our uh, aggregate health and our population and it looks like uh, you're going to be doing a whole lot more of that going forward. So I'm very excited to help get the word out about what you're doing, Diana. Always great to be here. Thanks for taking time to be here out of the office. And to our executive producer extraordinaire, Krista Baruti. Thanks for letting me push your button, CW. <laughs> and uh, for all, all those out there listening, wherever you're listening to us from, tweet us some questions. We would love to uh, get you information. If you have questions for our guests today, um, we'll be happy to follow up with them after the fact and get it back to you. If you have information uh, about a research project or some kind of cool thing going on in the community and health, let us know about it. We would love to uh, bring some light to that and see if we can't foster that um, program or initiative success. So we look forward to bringing more health experts to you here on the Health Connect South Radio. Make sure you make time to see us same time, same place next week. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sherwick.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.